0: to this episode of the psychology of music podcast hosted by the york music psychology group and dedicated to exploring the fascinating fields of music psychology music cognition systematic and empirical musicology my name is dr mimi o'neill and i'm thrilled to welcome you or to welcome you back The goal is to share our work with each other in the field and also to make these exciting topics more accessible to non-specialist audiences. So whether you are a researcher, a student, a musician, a music lover, or just curious about the way that we interact with music, you're in the right place. We'll feature interviews with experts in the field who are sharing their latest research findings and providing practical insights into how the new knowledge created can be applied. Is our very first inaugural episode of this podcast, and I'm so pleased to introduce our guest, Professor Helena Daffern. Helena works in the Audio Lab in the School of Physics, Engineering, and Technology at the University of York. She completed her PhD in music technology in 2008 and obtained a master's degree in singing performance from the University of York before training as a postgraduate at Trinity Laban Conservatoire of Music and Dance. Helena's work remains focused on voice science and acoustics, particularly singing techniques and vocal pedagogy, drawing on her experiences as a singing teacher and performer. Her research combines the disciplines of music performance, science and technology to investigate the singing voice. She uses virtual reality technology to deepen understanding of the processes and benefits of group singing, developing and exploring the value of virtual and hybrid choirs. It is this cross-disciplinarity, or interdisciplinarity, which makes her the ideal first guest. Welcome, Helena, and thank you for being our very first guest on the Psychology of Music podcast and our inaugural speaker in the Music Cognition Matters Speaker Series. If I may, I would like to start by asking you where you situate yourself and your work in this web of music psychology, psychology of music, music cognition, empirical musicology, all of these labels. Where do you see yourself? Oh, I see myself as a bit of a floater, I think. <laughs> Great.
1: I don't. I don't really sit anywhere. My, my specialism is voice science and voice acoustics. Um, and by its very nature that instrument is fundamentally us as human beings and so there's no way that you can address voice acoustics without thinking about the whole human and psychology and cognition and behaviour and I'm particularly interested in when voices interact and voices interacting is people interacting Sure. Um, so it depends very much on the project that I'm working on and the research questions that I'm asking at that point as to where I would fit in terms of considering myself exploring something from a, an empirical musicology point of view or a cognition point of view.
0: Really interesting so sort of based on that then that if we're bringing these things together um, I would love to talk to you more about about how interdisciplinary fields feed into this sort of research or the way you do research. But just to start with, could you maybe define interdisciplinary your understanding or how you conceive of interdisciplinarity?
1: It's an interesting word, isn't it? And it's bandied around a lot, I think. Um, And I think it can mean different things depending on the level that you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if we're talking about music as a topic, within music, there are so many disciplines yeah. that you can approach the the topic of music. Um, and so music cognition is by its very definition interdisciplinary in that you have to come at it from multiple perspectives. Um, I talk about interdisciplinarity in my work because I kind of go at it at an even higher level of I combine the the disciplines of art and science and social science. So I'm interested in the intersection of those things. And I really think interdisciplinarity has come out of this very unfortunate creation of disciplines. Interesting. Um, so really, in an ideal world, we wouldn't be forcing young people to make decisions about art, whether they're an artist or a scientist and which path they're going to pursue because where the really groundbreaking interesting kind of work can be done for me mm-hmm. and certainly what i want to pursue is where those those so-called disciplines intersect um, so yeah interdisciplinarity may mean somebody who's working in a psychology department in psychology and the interdisciplinarity is whether or not they're looking at music or art as in fine art or for yeah. instance um but for me and my work it's about combining science technology art and
0: creativity all together and seeing where they intersect really interesting so i mean those are sort of the pros if you like the advantages of it i suspect there are probably barriers to working in this way and you've sort of alluded to those in your the issues of of grouping people into disciplines but what are the barriers to working in this way
1: i think there are several barriers so yes as you say one of them is this unfortunate grouping that we force on people far too young um, and far too early in the education system in my opinion of you know are you a creative are you a mathematician are Mm -hmm. you a scientist when those things are not mutually exclusive and so so that's that's one downside Um, practically though there is a reason that that exists and it's because you can't become an expert in everything and I think empirical musicology is a really good example of it's very hard to study Um, so for me acoustics vocal behaviour and interactions without coming to grips with some technology for instance my background had no technology in it I did a music degree um, very much performance as a singer and so I had to get to grips with technology I have to I would honestly say I still do not embrace that (laughs) But, um, but it's very much, um, it's such a valuable tool. So there's upskilling that has to be done on a personal level, which can be challenging, yeah. I think. Um, so that's one challenge. Um, the language that is used across. So, you know, it's a, a really good example is when you're working um, at a high level across different fields, you may go to different conferences that say I might be going to a music psychology conference or um, an audio engineering conference. Um, and the terminology that is used is often confusing. So mm-hmm. they, they cross over sometimes, sometimes the same terms are used to mean very different things. Um, and that's something that can become frustrating for individuals and it can be frustrating for experts in different fields. Um, so that can be a real challenge. Um, And it's nobody's fault. Um, And I think the only way to get over that is have a mutual respect for each other's fields at a kind of discovery level, at that kind of foundational understanding and accepting that we do have to have come through a certain pathway to get to where we are. And in order to share knowledge and um, research techniques even to be at that centre of that Venn diagram, we have to start at a point of common understanding. And that can only be done by communicating well mm-hmm. and sharing that terminology and making some decisions around how it's going to be used moving forward as a group of people. Um And that's something that I haven't mentioned, actually. Of course, interdisciplinarity doesn't work on your own. Yeah. So you have to know what your limits are because you cannot be an expert in everything and it's all about collaboration and it's about finding the right people to work with who are the experts in the bit that you're missing for instance but also have that kind of passion for the mutual respect and desire to share that knowledge and move forward on that common basis i think that's really important um And when you're an academic in a university, I think one of the main barriers um, often, and it doesn't matter where you are, I think they always exist, are structural barriers. Sure. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we are working to, you know, we're all trying to find funded projects. We're all trying to um, work together to create groundbreaking research, but we have to find the pot of money that's going to fund it. And they are generally based on disciplines and it can be difficult. So at kind of structural level for where you get your funding from, a structural level within a university, colleagues working together, it can be a pain and it can make it harder work. If you have to work, especially across faculties, for instance, And we have to acknowledge that and find a way kind of to work around it.
0: But yeah, that's such a good point. There's sort of a innate territorialness in humans, isn't there, that you have to fight against to make it work. Yes. Um, really interesting. Those are, those are really interesting points and things that I think a lot of people would benefit from thinking on further. Um, as with a lot of research, we're often looking for sort of impact or ways that we can apply what we have found to the real world or to, to industry. Um, is that something you think about in your work a lot? And, and, sort of, if so, what are the applications of interdisciplinary work specifically?
1: Um, it is something I think about, it's something I think about a, a lot, actually, and often drives a project for me. Um, I think all research is impactful, um, but there are different speeds at which the impact can be measured. I think that's the difference. So often um certainly funders, for instance, talk about this difference between discovery research and translational research, where the translational research is what's impactful. But by impact, what's meant is can I measure a monetary value that has has is part of the output of this project or a societal measurable value to this. Um, and I think we have to hold on to the fact that sometimes the answer might be, no, I'm not going to be able to by the end of the lifetime of this project. Um, but in the future, having an understanding of this research question, for instance, um, I, I'm particularly interested in um, choral blend and what happens when uh, a choir sing together and they create a particularly good for want of a better word yeah blend a blended sound what does that mean so what does it mean from a perception point of view and from the performer's point of view and what's happening um at all the way down to a physiological level when when a choir sing together and something magical happens okay so you can think about that from a psychological point of view you can think about it from a state of flow i'm interested in the acoustics i have no idea what that means like if i find The metrics that would say say that equals good blend. I I can't tell you what the impact of that would be, but actually, if we we without asking those questions, we can't then, for instance, understand how best to um, develop technology that allows us to record voices so they're absolute optimum for how they're perceived, and that then connects with the work that I do with virtual reality technology, which I work with, with virtual choirs. Okay, so if I want to improve access to choirs and I want people who can't be part of a choir physically to have that experience virtually, if I have an understanding of what the magic is, what the the essence is acousti- acoustically, mm-hmm. then I have something to aim for, for what I want to recreate virtually. And that could be hugely impactful on society, but I'm not going to get there in the next six months. But I have to do that discovery research. So I think it's important that people don't get put off mm. fundamental, like blue sky questions about whatever their discipline is. Having said that, I also am driven by, can we can we do something that's valuable and measurable relatively quickly? And i think work one of the keys to that is working with industry um or certainly stakeholders so Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a commercial entity that's going to make you money um but people who are actually working in the area that you're interested in impacting whatever that is so for me community choirs Mm. so i i could sit in my office and think about virtual reality or virtual choir technologies and how i could make them as good as i can based on what i know about technology but at the end of the day if i don't go out there and talk to community choir practitioners and understand what their priorities are no one's going to use that technology because they have no need to um so it's about talking to those people talking to the stakeholders before you form your idea and that's
0: when your research can be most impactful i think that's so interesting. Co-production such a sort of, it is a bit blue sky, I think, as you said. We're, we're moving towards it, but it's still quite early stages and a lot of research and researchers are probably really guilty of not planning in that way. There seems to be a sort of a long termedness to um, to that thinking of, well, I have to make these chess moves before I can get to the king and checkmate it. Is that, is that a reasonable analogy or is it not quite that joined up? Oh, always? I think you can come at it from either angle. Really. So some of the
1: work that I do is driven by these questions that I've had based on me being a singer, Mm -hmm. based on my practice. Um, But others are driven by a partner or a stakeholder coming to me with a question or, you know, can we apply um, my. So somebody may say we need to know more about this aspect voice acoustics like i don't know directionality Mm -hmm. of singing because that might be able to help us write the next plug-in for something um and you start there with they want an output in the next six months a year um but actually it creates a whole web of future research questions so it can go the other way sure you start with an impactful output that you can deliver relatively quickly or you think you can Mm -hmm. you know the research question is very specific and but actually that gives you a load more blue sky research to think about because it it just opens up more questions and so it's not just about saying we need to um, kind of satisfy the needs of people who are going to make money so a company that comes to you and says you know we we want to develop this technology or something they actually can spark whole ideas so it is a two-way benefit Mm. and i think that we can lose sight of that sometimes when we think we've got to jump through a hoop and get an industry partner on board or i've got to get a stakeholder on board but never forget that that's that's going to spark a whole nother world of research questions. Um, So I think I see it as coming from both directions.
0: And obviously, your background as a singer has been really instrumental in the work you do. I mean, you're still a performer, actually, you're still Mm -hmm. but it does seem to influence your research. Talk to me about that relationship.
1: Uh, Oh, it definitely does. I mean, I that's how I've ended up where I am, which is in a physics engineering and technology (laughs) school which is not at all where where my pathway was taking me um and it really came out of out of singing and wanting to better understand what I was doing um and I was reading texts and not able to interpret them um in terms of so whether that might be understanding someone a tutor talking about vibrato in literature Mm -hmm. like well what did that mean is that always meant the same thing and so that got me interested in acoustics so is there a ground truth and i suppose the acoustic waveform is something we can measure Mm -hmm. and we can see and so that's that's how i started on this path of science really getting interested in the science behind it and still now i think i when i when i started my phd which mm. was in what was then electronic engineering and the music department so mm-hmm. it was shared and um, i became in, introduced to this whole world of acoustic engineers who were often engineers who were interested in voice so they had an amateur interest in singing for instance and it blew my mind that they could measure all of these things um and this concept of um performance science it was kind of like at the beginning of yeah. that that field really but everything I was get all the conferences I was going to as a student were around voice very specifically about singing but what I found was that often the actual process of performance and what's involved in it the behavioral elements of it were being lost mm-hmm. so you know you could put up spectrograms and and measure onsets or you could measure um, the magnitude of harmonics and um, look at long-term average spectra and all these fabulous things you could measure. But, you know, a, a sing- one singer had been stood in an anechoic chamber and sung a note. Yeah. And so it lost all of the context. So I'm not saying they weren't really valuable studies and absolutely they've been the foundation of all of the work that's taken kind of taken off since then. But as a performer, I could see what was missing and it was the context and the acceptance that is not an acoustic waveform, it's a whole person and the, their performance and their behaviour and if there's more than one of them, their interactions. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's really important that, that I'm a performer and that I, I don't forget that when especially designing experiments that's not to say i don't sometimes design experiments that are very unecological. ecological because i do (laughs) yeah but it's about being aware i think and acknowledging that that one experiment is going to get me to this point and i've ignored this part of the story and that's when we come back to the interdisciplinarity and why it's so important to maintain communication and not being shy of sharing those experiments with somebody who might be highly critical of them to say that's you know, that's not valuable because of X, Y and Z.
0: so as well as chatting to me for the podcast you're going to be launching the music cognition Matters speaker series um so this is a new online speaker series in which people working in the field of music psychology music cognition etc present their work and start a conversation so helena is coming at this from a slightly different perspective a more zoomed out approach is that is that fair
1: yes i think that's that's absolutely fair yes and um I think that that's, that's what I can offer, I guess, to that community um, because I'm not a music psychologist um, and I wouldn't label myself as such. Um, I'd love to be. <laughs> but it's, you know, I, I kind of dabble and I work with music psychologists mm. and, and to me, hopefully, just providing a bit of a zoomed out perspective and talking about the, those challenges mm. and opportunities of interdisciplinarity um and music psychology you can't get away from it you know you you are either choosing your perspective and saying that's what that's that's the angle I am taking with my research or you're thinking about the whole picture and it's I mean music is just the most complex of topics um which is what makes it such a fabulous and fascinating thing to study
0: yeah absolutely um so could you could you give us an overview of what we might expect from your presentation? Um, absolutely. So what I'm what I'm going to do, I'm going to
1: kind of do a bit of a, a zoom into one or two of my projects to explain how they've evolved Great. and the challenges that I came across when I was kind of um, from their very birth all the way through to their outputs and where they're at now. So where they've gone Um and. Hopefully I'll have some sort of structure to it to show quite what a web of relationships, especially. So I'll probably focus on um, the challenges and opportunities of interdisciplinarity, but especially focusing on relationships and how important they are.
0: That sounds awesome. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. As part of the speaker series we're also inviting presenters to issue a call to action or a prompt for further thought and discussion. So if this is a topic that is of interest and you would like to be part of that conversation then make sure you join us for Helena's presentation which will be this Friday at one o'clock. More details can be found in the show notes and at the end of this episode. Whilst we are here it would be remiss of me not to ask what else you're currently working on. Is there anything exciting that you've got coming up?
1: I do have a very exciting project starting uh, next month, actually, which is funded by Innovate UK. Um, And that's working with a company called Care Reality and also Alzheimer's Scotland. And it's the kind of immediate impact side of my work that I was talking about. So we are going to be working on a framework to develop my virtual reality choir um, model which I've been working on for a long time now about eight years Um, so we're working on a framework that would allow residents in care homes in Scotland to sing as part of a choir and get that experience but also be able to continue talking to each other and getting the social benefits of that experience as well that's a one-year project which is really exciting and starts next month
0: that sounds really exciting i will um yeah we'll look out for for more information on that um my final question that i will ask to all uh, of the guests on this podcast is what are the most interesting questions the most uh, the outstanding topics or the the parts of this field that that people aren't looking at but you think they should be that's a very good
1: question i i don't think there is one thing that people aren't looking at that they should be i think there's been a really positive change in the last kind of five ten years to embrace technology which i think needs to continue to happen um so i think not being scared i say this as someone who is also scared of technology (laughs) even though i'm very much embedded in that world not being scared of technology and using it and being prepared to upskill into that, I think, is the way to really continue the trajectory that now this field is, is kind of emerging mm-hmm. uh, in. Um, and also just not being scared of making relationships with people who are external to academia. Um, which again, but it's already happening. Mm. So I don't think it's particularly topics, but it's just looking at that holistic approach and not being scared of saying there's a gap here. And either that's okay, it's a gap, or it's a gap that we could actually fill by engaging someone external to us or someone who's in a different discipline.
0: Marvellous. Helena, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, for sharing your wisdom with me. Um, I very much look forward to your Music Cognition Matters presentation. Thank you, Pam. you can watch Helena's Music Cognition Matters presentation this Friday, the 21st of April at one o'clock online. The link is in the show notes and can also be found on our website, mus-cog-matters.glitch.me. Before we finish, there is just time to tell you about the GAPS2 Conference, the Global Art and Psychology Seminar on Creativity and Music in the Arts, hosted by the Universities of York, Graz, La Plata, and Melbourne on the 14th to the 16th of September, 2023. This conference aims to offer students and early career researchers all around the globe an innovative platform through which ideas, experiences, insights and knowledge about the relationship between music, art and creativity can be shared in an inclusive and rigorous way. If you're interested in finding out more about this global hybrid event, you can follow the link in the show notes. If you have something that you would like to publicise through the podcast, then let us know. Thanks so much for listening and I hope to welcome you back for our next episode in which we will be exploring music and language with Tudor Popescu.